Amen. Hey, once again, we are in our study, World Religions, Colts, and the Occult, number 13, Bobby. And Eric, what's the tagline? You can read. You got glasses. That's right. Give it up for Eric and Bobby. That's right. Live from Vegas. The Untold History of the Charismatic Movement. Now, hey, by way of a recap, we have already started with the intro, which once again was a disclaimer. I'm not saying everybody who goes to a charismatic church is somebody who's involved in the cult or the occult, but the behavior is getting so extreme, we got to deal with it because the cultic behavior and the occult is coming in through the charismatic church and that's not good we saw and we dispelled a couple different myths number one the movement itself is nothing new uh the charismatic church they're not some new wave of the spirit of god in the last days this is old-fashioned montanism that the early church had to deal with okay it's just been repackaged then we saw their version of the gift of languages i.e the gibberish uh is nothing new that's also going on in the uh, uh, the uh, cults and the occult as well. Then we begin the issue with spiritual gifts. Why? Because this is one of the areas, there's several different areas that the charismatic movement gets wrong, okay, with all due respect, okay, but they get it wrong on the spiritual gifts. And because they get it wrong on the gifts, they're not only misapplied, they open up Pandora's box. Now, the first one we dealt with and uh, was the gift of prophecy. And what we saw with the gift of prophecy, this is one of the classic areas they get it wrong twice. Number one, the gift of prophecy, we, as we saw biblically, it was what? Was it foretelling the future? No. It is declaring God's revealed truth, which is what? This. Now, is that a good thing? Yeah. Do we still need to have God's revealed? It's already for us. Nothing new. Revealed for us? Yeah, so that's a gift that's still in function for today. It's not for telling the future. It's declaring this right here. We need that. But the second mistake, then they confuse this with the office of a prophet, okay, which is not what's going on here. So it's a double mistake. And uh, when it comes to the office of a prophet or apostles, those are not in continuance today because by nature of those two offices, apostolos, one who is sent forth on a commission, a commission to what? To verify the transition from the old covenant to the new covenant, the old to the new Testament, right? Okay. Do we need to have that verified today? No. And the office of a prophet, okay, that did foretell new revelation. Do we need any more revelation than what we got? No. So those went away and that's nothing new. So that was the very first thing. And by the way, let me back up. When it comes to the spiritual gifts, when do we get them? Every born-again Christian gets gifts at the moment of salvation. That means you can take a class, you can jump up and down, you can scream, doesn't matter. You're going to get the gifts at what? And who gives them? The Holy Spirit. We're going to see that text again, Lord willing, tonight. How do you uh, know which one? When you need to pray, sometimes it's self-evident. You need to explore, try, do something, okay? Did you guys know that the gift of pew-sitting is not in the Bible? Okay, (laughs) we need to get out there. God gives us gift to do something, all right? And it's for the benefit of the church, okay? Then again, what are the gifts? Well, again, prophecy. Then we saw serving. Is serving still needed in the church today? Yeah, okay, it's still in function. And again, remember, because we're seeing when it comes to the gifts, some are in function for today, some are not, i.e., there's some that are temporary. We'll get into those, Lord willing, the next study. We'll finally hit that list. And then some are still in today. Okay, that's the, the debate, okay? Teaching, do we still need people to teach the Word of God? Okay, so that's in function today. And again, we're not just doing this, you know, we're coming up with this list because we're being selfish, self-centered, and we're ignoring the movement of God. No, it's just self-explanatory according to the Word of God, right? So teaching, we need encouraging. Is that needed today? Absolutely. Fantastic gift. And then last time, the gift of giving, and it wasn't just treasure. It's your life, your time, your talents, your tongue, right? Do, do people need to do that today for the church? Absolutely. The gift of leadership and mercy, do we need those in the church? Absolutely. Now, we're going to move on now to the next gift that is still in function for today, and that is the gift of wisdom, is the next one on the list. 
if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Remember, the gifts are in Romans chapter 12, which we've already gone through. Now we're moving into the another section, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as well. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to take a look at verses 1 through 11, and let's take a look at the different gifts, okay? First Corinthians, if you find 2 Corinthians, what do you do? Take a look. That's right. Our side really big. Are you still trying to get over that, Leanne, the, the gum thing? It's okay. It's way down here by now. It's a, don't worry about it. Okay, I'm not going to choke, I don't think. <laughs> Anyway, I saw enough time. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, what's it say? Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to what? I don't want you to be ignorant. Why? Now, why is he writing this? I don't have time to go into all this, but what comes later? Chapter 14, which is on the gift of languages, okay? And that's what was happening. They were being ignorant about it. And so he has to, he, before he even gets to 14, he has to clarify what's really going on. And he squeezes 13 right in there, which is what we call the love chapter. It's not just the chapter that's read during your marriage ceremony. It's about how Christians are supposed to be, right? To love one another, right? But anyway, so he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, right? He says, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. Are you kidding me? No way, right? And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Spirit of God, that is your acid test. He's the one that's going to be given the gifts. He says that here in a second, okay? And you can sit there and say, well, this God gave me this gift, whatever. But if it translates into sinful, that ain't from God. But then he goes on and he starts to talk about the gifts. There's different uh, kinds of gifts, but the what? Same Spirit, right? There's different kinds of service, but the same what? Lord, there's different kinds of working, but the same what? God works all of them and all men. Who works all of them? Who's the one behind this? So if I took a class, is that going to change it? If I paid money to go to somebody's seminar to learn how to use this gift, and what, is that going to? You just wasted your cash and your time as well. God does it. Now, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, and it's given for yourself, because the gifts are all about you and building yourself up. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong translation. What's it say there? Man, we're just learning a lot just reading the Bible. What a concept. Okay, but do you notice, again, that's what a lot of the charismatic movements say. No, it's self-edification. This is for myself. It, no, it says what? It's for the common good, is what he says there, for the church. Now, now he breaks it down. To one, there was given through the Spirit. Again, who? Through the Spirit, the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To other, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. There it is again, mentioned again. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, literally languages. And still to another, the interpretation of those languages or tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And who gives them? He gives them to each one just as what? He determines. Now, why do you think that God is the one who dispenses the gifts? Because he knows what's best. Hello, he's God. Okay, it's common sense, right? And if it were up to us, we would probably mess things up. Okay, so he gives them, and you should be happy. The point is, find out what they are and get busy using them. Amen? Okay, don't be ignorant about this, is the theme of what Paul says there. But let's take a look at that first one, the gift of wisdom. Now, it's also mentioned there, uh, if you will, the word of wisdom, okay, and by nature of, in the next one you're going to see knowledge, word of knowledge, okay, word means, what do you do with your mouth? You speak forth, hopefully what? Words, unless you're a boy growing up, and what do you do? You make noises, 
And you still do that when you get older, but we'll, we'll move. Not me, it was Bobby. But anyway, so anyway, but word, right? So this, by nature of it being a word of wisdom, this is a speaking gift. Make sense? It's common sense, according to the Bible, right? The word, it's a word. You're speaking forth wisdom, right? You don't have to sit there, God gave me a word of wisdom. It's just a speaking gift, and it involves wisdom. It indicates one of the speaking gifts, the gift described, someone who can understand and speak forth word, speak forth biblical truth in such a way as to skillfully hear the whole theme of this gift, that you can apply God's word. Okay? It's not just speaking it forth, but because it's involved with wisdom, wisdom gives you the ability to what? Not just know it, but apply it. Now, this is a gift. Okay? Is that needed today? That people not just know the word of God, they apply it? Yeah. Okay? Now, I want to give you an example of what I think happens to a lot of churches, and by nature, uh, even Christians. When they sit under somebody, now it could be a, a pastor, it could be just a teacher, Sunday school class, but somebody who's presenting the Word of God, okay? And if they don't apply it with wisdom, which again means you are not just knowing it, you're wisely putting it into practice. What a concept, okay? I want to share with you what does it look like and what does it produce? Because I think this is an epidemic in a lot of churches. People are spouting off a bunch of gobbledygook, even from the pulpit. And everybody's just going, and you play the game. Yeah, that's great, right? And you get up there, it sounds great, you know, because if you deal with the hypostatic union of the deep theological truths of the Trinitarian aspect due to the sanctification factor of the justification of the, that, and with the sanctifying, the deep fried, the catfish fry, and people, what do we do as Christians? Yeah, you've been there, Chris. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, sounds great, right? Okay. And so what happens is all going in. It's all a bunch of bunch of mumbo jumbo. But you 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 literally leave and you go, who? And the interns, you guys know this. What's the term that I use? I says when you get up there in the pulpit, don't what? Don't barf. Don't barf on your audience. Don't barf on the congregation. You say, well, barf. What do you mean by barf? Well, you take a lot of good biblical truth. I'm not even saying that what you said wasn't biblical, but it was just all over the place. It was, okay, yeah, you quoted that, and then you this, and then you, you said that, and then here comes some jargon and that, and I know it wasn't wrong, but what, how does that got to go with this, and then that, and then this, and you sit there and you go, okay, <laughs> and you leave. Now, so what's happening to the Christian who needs to be instructed in God's word with wisdom to apply it, which means it's in your life now, you're reacting to it, you're living it out, and that means you're growing. So if you don't function with wisdom, and it's just a bunch of theological jargon, nothing's happening. And you turn into what I call a plastic Christian. It's like this. Here's an example of just theological jargon, and you go, huh? No application, just sounds really intense and intelligent. And then here's what it produces. Let me give you an example. The relationality between Father, Son, Spirit, humanity didn't start at Pentecost. It was reflected at Pentecost. It was shown at Pentecost. It was um, broadcast at Pentecost. Um, but that relationality, I think you had right when you said goes back to creation. And so it's a creation that humanity uh, was invited to fully participate in the dance of God.
Hey, I'm Ryan. I'm a Christian, and this is my story. Growing up, I never missed going to church. When I was 12, I accepted Christ as my Savior. I was even baptized. It, it undoubtedly was a very important decision. It even affected how I lived in high school. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I had fun on the weekends. I had a girlfriend, a couple, but I was a normal high school kid. College was one big blur, but I did make it to church out of obedience. And after school, I married a great girl, and she's been a great influence on me. Life's been good. I have a house, three kids. I couldn't ask for more. I mean, sure, I worry about my future. I mean, my marriage, it could be better. And I need to spend more time with my kids, but, but things will be all right. I have my faith. You may not hear me talk about it a lot, but that's, that's just because it's personal. But don't worry for me. My Jesus is real. You've heard me say so many times before, uh, 20-some years now of, of ministry, uh, why is the church so powerless and ineffective, by and large, in America today, in general? Because I think the church is flooded with people just like that. Plastic. How far can you push that and you're not even really saved? I don't know. I don't know your heart. But what adds to this? I mean, people, are, they're coming to church services, but if there's no application, and it's just a bunch of theological jargon, or you're just bouncing all over the place, and there's no point A to point B, there's no logical flow, there's no application, it's like, and here's how it's applied. It's just a bunch of facts and figures and this and that, and you leave, and you, you just come in, you go out. You come in, you go out. You come, and you don't learn a thing. And you end up with stuff like that. And I think that's what's going on in a lot of churches. In fact, I'll take a step further. I'm just going to give you a chrome theory. I think my experience has been that a lot of churches want the person in the pulpit to speak like that. You say, oh, that's ridiculous. No, I really think that a lot of churches want people to have somebody up here. There's no conviction. They don't grow. They're not challenged, but they sound religious because they want to go back to sleep. They don't want anybody to rock the boat. They don't want somebody to talk about sin or hell or God's wrath or you need to grow up. You need to knock it off. You need to get right with God. Oh, no, no, no. That person's divisive. And you're just preaching the word of God. God's the one that does the conviction, right? But I really think that church is like that. So what does God give to the church? He gives people with the ability to provide what is needed, the gift of wisdom. Because again, what's wisdom? Wisdom is not just knowing the scripture, it's the application of scripture. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 8, right? So this is what, four chapters earlier, for those of you hooked on math. He says, knowledge puffs up, but what? Love builds up, right? Who cares what you know? It's the application of that knowledge with wisdom. You demonstrate that you don't just know the scripture, you're wise with scripture because you're applying it. How do you know you're applying it? Because your life changes and you start looking, sounding, acting more like Jesus. You start loving people, even the stinkers. Aren't you glad that Jesus loves the stinkers? And turn to somebody and say, even you. Because we're all stinkers, right? Right? But that's what it is. What good is knowledge if it doesn't translate into application? What a waste of time. What is this, some sort of a religious time clock you're just punching in each week? 
So again, so this is a very valuable gift that we need to have people function with this because it's not just knowing, it is an application, right? Just knowing a bunch of stuff, spouting off figures. You hear me say that the old crone version of this, right? And the reason why I'm telling you all this information is so in case you ever get on Jeopardy, that's right. You can get that double daily column. You get the correct answer for the daily. No, it's not to impress your friends. It's not to impress your Sunday school class. It's not to impress your coworkers. I know Moses Dog's favorite brand of ice cream. First of all, he didn't have a dog, and ice cream doesn't last very well in the desert. Whoever started that rumor, I don't know. But anyway, so he's, no, it's the application of the truth, right? James 1, 24, what's he say? Do not merely listen to the word, but what? So to deceive yourselves, you need to what? Do what it says, okay? Now, keep reading. He says, he says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, let me apply the gift of wisdom to that verse, right? Any man who looks, he goes in, he looks in the mirror, right? He, he hears the word, but he doesn't do it. it doesn't, nothing translates. He looks in the mirror and he walks away and he totally forgets what he just saw. Go back to that scenario. I'm sitting in the church service. And the guy up here is going, yeah, in the hypostatic union with the Trinitarian, or they're just doing a bunch of barf. And this over here, and that here, and I have no idea. And, and what do you do? You're looking at it. I eat the mirror. You might even go, wow, that was great. But you walk away, you go out to the sanctuary, and what do you do? You forget the whole thing. How many times have you heard this? You've gone to a church service, and what do you say? What do you just say? Do you know what he said? That's a sign that this is going on. Somebody's barfing on you. Or it's just a bunch of mind, you know, jargon, and you're never going to grow. You're never challenged. So God gives us this fantastic gift of wisdom because it's the application of truth. That these guys have a supernatural ability to take a look at God's truth and figure out how to apply it to encourage people to apply it. The gift of wisdom is the ability to take a simple phrase of Scripture or a simple truth of God, dive into it, and show people, including yourself, how to apply it to life. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is the application of spiritual truth, the ability to take spiritual truth and to dig into it and then put it into practice. Right? Okay? It's a spirit-given gift that allows a man to do this, okay, to help the church, okay? So do people in the church today need to apply God's word? Do they need to be doers, not just hearers? So guess what? This gift is still in function for today, right? Common sense, right? It's not because we're resisting the movement of God in the last day. Now, the next one, if you recall there on our list, okay, was the gift of Knowledge, right? And this is kind of the, the, the second half of what we just talked about. Now, it's uh, literally, again, it's that same word, word of knowledge, okay, right? It's not, God told me something to tell you with this word. That's not at all. Now, that's kind of like a charismatic mindset. But again, the word means that it's one of the speaking gifts, okay? Just like somebody can speak wisdom, how to apply God's word this person with a word speaking knowledge, okay? So it's a speaking gift. It's not some supernatural thing where I woke up and the, the light shone through the window and the beam glanced off my half-eaten apple from the night before with the wax coating. And it hit the back mirror of my headboard. It got into my right ear. It created this hum. It produced a train of thought and I had a vision. And this word was... 
No, it's a speaking gift, right? And just as this one, again, spoke wisdom application, this is a gift that people can speak forth God's word, and we're talking deep knowledge, okay? It, they're, they're wonderful gifts, especially, man, if you can get a double gifting on this one, whoo because now you got somebody who's a crazy researcher, and they know how to apply it. God's word. Isn't that awesome? That's what this is. It's not some, you know, right? Okay. Now, wisdom is the application of truth. Knowledge is the understanding of the facts of the truth. Okay. There's a lot of people like this. Okay. These will be probably the people you talk about, the guys that I call them research junkies. If you want to use a non-crone word, scholars. Right. But these are people who they love to research. They love to get into God's word. They like every nook and cranny and they can get in there and they devote their whole lives to studying the archaeological aspect, the historical aspects. And they basically do all the hard work for you. Right. Now, do we need to be accurate in our understanding of the scripture? You better believe it. Right. Because why? We are 2000 years removed just from the New Testament, not counting the Old Testament. Right. And then on top of that, we have to understand not just the language difference and the time difference. Okay. The grammatical differences, but the historical difference. Right. We're in a more of a Greek uh, Western mindset. This is all taking place over there in, in Western Europe. And, and that it's a whole different way of life, different customs and mannerisms. And, and, and if you don't get it right, you'll get it wrong. In the word of God. So we need people. That's, that's their, ooh, that's their giftedness, man. I, ooh, I just want to get in there. I want to get in. I want to find out the history. I want to know the customs. I want to know the languages, right? That's a wonderful, fantastic gift. Isn't that much better than, you know, the beam of the light on the apple, on the thing, on the ear, and the vision told me to tell you. That's what's going on today. But that's not what this gift is. When you understand what it is, you're going, wow, that's powerful. And, and again, it's a, it's a two-bang punch, right? Because, man, somebody that goes down deep in God's word gets it, nails it exactly in its historical, grammatical context. Then, what do you do? All right, hope you make it on Jeopardy. No. Then, if you could couple it with this guy, woo, now apply it. That's the whole thing. You see how the gifts work together, function together? Okay. It's a fantastic uh, gift. Now, let me give you a couple examples historically of some folks that I would say uh, that had this gift, okay? See if you can guess who this guy is. He's not only an author, theologian, pastor, but many consider him to be the genius behind the Protestant Reformation that freed the world from the shackles of Roman Catholicism. In fact, if Martin Luther was the voice of the Reformation, this guy is considered the mind, right? Uh, he was born in 1509 in France at a time when the Roman Catholic Church falsely taught that you had to do good works in order to go to heaven. They still teach that today, unfortunately. Uh, instead of relying on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Uh, but it was in Paris in 1533, at the age of 24, this man read for himself in the Bible. What a concept. The good news of salvation, and that it was not dependent upon the works of man, but on the goodness and mercy of God, and, uh, and through Jesus Christ. So he got saved. Now, once he received this truth, he was changed forever, instantly. It's almost like he got saved, and God gave him gifts. It should be in the Bible somewhere. Right? Okay. Uh, he says he was diving into and devouring the truths of Scripture. Why? Because I think that's one of the gifts he got. Knowledge. i got to get in there and find out what's going on. So much so that in two years after being saved, he produced one of the greatest literary works of all time in church history. It's called The Institutes. And it was literally, listen, this is in the 1500s. It was the first textbook of systematic theology that covered wonderful truths in the Scriptures, such as the authority of the Scripture, the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, the nature of God, Stuff that we take for granted today. This guy did it. 
He got in there, researched, researched it, and produced it. And this, I believe, uh, again, he's in his early 20s. What were we doing in our early 20s? I don't either, Bobby. I didn't get saved until I was 25. Wow. So he's producing systematic theology books. That's somebody with the gift of knowledge. But that was just the beginning. Then God used him to not only build churches, but teach people to say the word of God. He starts a Bible institute in Geneva with 600 students. Okay, And the town literally became, at that time anyway, a a spiritual haven for the word of God. Uh, It was even stated that at the founding of our own country, America, and the form of our American government, uh, and the spiritual backbone of the American people came as a direct result of this man's teaching. Now you're dealing with uh, somebody called John... Calvin. Now, with Calvin, I don't agree with Calvin's five points, for those of you wondering. I would be considered what's called a four-point Calvinist. But this is where I think the danger of just having this without this comes into play, right? And if you're familiar with Calvin, you got the tulip, right? You got the tulip, right? Not two lips. Well, I do have two lips, but that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> but it's this one that's called limited atonement, Right, And that basically says that Christ only died for the elect. And the reason why I disagree with that is because the Bible says he died for all. He died for the world. And world means world. Now, what happens is they, because you've got to make that acronym stick because you can't budge. John Calvin, wonderfully gifted, fantastically gifted. Probably, and maybe he, on top of that, he had a crazy IQ. Whoop us at a math test any day of the week. I'll give you that. But he's not God, right? And so God is the one. Now, they would sit there and say, uh, uh, no, world really means elect. No, if God wants to use the word elect, he'll use elect, right? But all means all. Well, then the counter to that, they'll sit there and say, well, if you say that the atonement of Christ uh, refers to all, everybody, then you're preaching universalism that everybody gets saved. No. No, I'm not. I don't know. Right? The atonement of Christ is available for all. But, of course, it was only applied to the elect. I don't need to twist scripture, right? But because you're just, I've got to stick on this thing, and it has to work out, and I can't budge from That's where we get into knockdown dragouts with that. But still, whatever I say, with all that said, that's just a little side note, because uh, I mentioned John Calvin, and that's kind of a dirty word nowadays in the Internet world, okay, uh, that I wanted to explain that, right? But still, the guy comes up with systematic theology at the early 20s, woo why? Because that's somebody that that's their passion, that's their life. I've got to get in here. I've got to know every nook and cranny. So much so that he developed theology books. How many guys have a challenge just making through the funny paper? <laughs> this got to do with theology books in the 20s, right? So that's an example. Now, let me give you another more modern example. This guy, you may have heard of him, maybe not. A.W. Pink. A.W. Pink, right? Uh, he was one of the most influential evangelical authors in the second half of the 20th century. And uh, in 1908... Around that time frame, he got saved, okay? Uh, and then in 1910, he goes to Moody Bible Institute. That was kind of cool. Uh, right after he gets saved, he goes to Bible college. That's what kind of happened to me, right? That's what happened to Bobby, right? You get saved, and you go get, and you get instructed, right? And so that. So then after that, he, he pastored in Colorado. He pastored in Kentucky. He pastored in uh, South Carolina. Uh, he starts writing uh, books and articles and things of that nature. And, and then, but because he was just staunch on the Scripture, which is a good thing, if you're going to teach the Scripture, right, uh, churches started to not like him anymore. And, quote, he was welcomed by some members, but then people didn't want him around anymore, and this is in the church, 
because, quote, he's going to split the church. Now, what's he doing? He's just preaching the word of God. And that's what you want. But now the churches want to kick him out. This was in the 1900s, folks. Same baloney that goes on today. Okay. But he says, quote, he says, I am more firmly convinced today that our place is outside the camp that is a place of reproach, of loneliness, and testing. So the church is beaten up on him. And before, when he first started, everybody wanted him. But because he preached the truth, now nobody wants him. And he says, fine, I'll go outside the church. And what happened was his father died in 1933. He received uh, an estate which allowed him and his wife, they weren't like living high on the hog or nothing, but allowed them to, he could devote the rest of his time uh, to uh, studying the scripture, going down deep. The gift of knowledge, that's our context again. So basically, that was 1936 until his death in 1952. This guy had all those years to go crazy and dive into the Scripture. And he produced some crazy, awesome, great literature work. Studies in Scripture, that's a classic by A.W. Pink, if you're not familiar with that. Um, but he would go crazy. I mean, this, this is the guy, this is their passion, this is their giftedness. Uh, his wife literally came up to him and says, Dude, you're killing your health, you've got to at least get a hobby. So she forced him to go and get into stamp collecting just to break away because he's just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just I got to get in there. I got to find out. I gotta, you know. And this guy, he's doing year after year after year because he could devote himself to it, right? So anyways, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you're familiar with him, he was influenced by A.W. Pink. Okay, he says, quote, don't waste, listen to this from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Don't waste your time with other theologians. You'll get nothing from them to aid you with preaching. Read Pink. This guy's down deep. If you ain't got any of his works, I got several in my uh, library. Uh, but his classic work of course, is on the sovereignty of God. Oh, wow. That'll spank you upside down all week long, right? But it's also, to me, a comfort. Outside of uh, eternal security. Anybody glad for eternal security? That praise God, we're going to heaven. Praise God, nobody can take that away. Which, unfortunately, is, again, what a lot of the charismatic church does not teach. Okay, but outside of that, the next big biblical truth that really resonates and comforts me is the sovereignty of God. When you realize how sovereign he is, takes it off your shoulders, man. Something that never was there before, right? It's awesome to know that God's got it mapped out. It's not fatalism, but it's knowing that, listen, he's ahead of you, man. He doesn't have a plan B. He doesn't have to say, oops. He doesn't go, wow, I didn't see that one coming. (laughs) It's such a comfort, man, when you understand the sovereignty of of God, okay? So, so is that a good thing to have? To have these people who are supernaturally gifted, they want to get the word of God, they want to get it accurately, they're going in there deep, they're spending hour and hour, in this case, year after year after year, into the word of God. And, and so, I mean, that makes common sense. And, and frankly, uh, do we just leave that kind of a study up to just those people with that gift? I mean, isn't that a good thing for all of us to do? So, surely that's what we're doing with our time. All right, maybe you can't devote 16 years like Bay W. Pink. You go crazy and kill your health. You're at least in there sometime, aren't you? Some of it? Unfortunately, in the church today, this is another problem. We say, I don't have time. So if I'm going to get in, but we feel guilty. So if only somebody could figure out how to tell us the Bible in uh, one minute. I'll give God a minute. Watch this. <laughs> 
One, two, three. Bible in a minute. Earth made Adam Eve. Cain kills Abel, has to leave. Boring genealogy, great flood, olive leaf, Tower of Babel, Abraham, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Ten Commands, Promised Land, Judges, David, Solomon, sent away to Babylon, Job, then a bunch of songs, Proverbs, and the Song of Songs, Major Prophets, Lion Den, Minor Prophets, Bethlehem, Golden Myrrh, and Frankincense, Satan, and Samaritan, Choose Disciples of the Cheek, Walk on Water, Thousand Feet, Lazarus, Fig Tree, Lassapurgus, Blood, money, third to now. Pontius Pilate, public trial. Forty lashes to the tree. Why have you forsaken me? Third day, empty tomb. Reappears, five boots. Acts of the apostles. Next epistles and apocalypse. Whoa! Yeah! I was feeling guilty there for a second, Pastor Tom, but I just blew through the Bible in one minute. Yes! Praise God for people who have the gift of knowledge. Amen? None of this shortcut baloney. Hey, oh, oh, but I, I just don't have time, Pastor Billy. Yeah, I'll stand over here as the lightning bolt gets you, whoever said that. 80, let me just pick on one. 83% of Americans have a social media account. Hmm. Teens now, just teens, now spend up to nine hours a day on social platforms. That doesn't count TV, folks. Nine hours a day. On social platforms. The average person, now this is the adult, not teens, will spend nearly two hours on social media every day, so we ain't doing much better, which translates to five years, four months spent over a lifetime just on social media, and it's growing. Contrast that to eating and drinking, that's three years, five months. Social media is now five years, four months. More time than eating and drinking is now spent, almost double. On that. And listen, it's been calculated the amount of time the average person spends on social media today. You could climb Mount Everest 32 times, run 10K, uh, 10,000 marathons, 10,000 marathons, or walk your dog. Boy, my wiener dog, he's getting a little plump. Walk your dog 93,000 times. Not to mention, I didn't think I don't have time to read the Bible. We got plenty of time, folks. We just blow. But praise God, God knows this. So you know what he does? He gives the church people with the gift of wisdom. And sometimes it's a double gifting, the gift of knowledge. Right? Now, that's no excuse to not get in yourself, right? Now, should we all apply the scripture? Yeah. So you go, well, I can't apply scripture because I, I, I'm waiting for that guy to show up with the gift of wisdom. No. No, I can't read the Bible because I don't have the gift of knowledge. No. These are compliments to the church. But praise God for those compliments, because if anything, these people help us to realize if we do get in that mindset, I just got time, or I don't know. You know what? You need to get more serious in your walk with Jesus Christ. Stop just trying to cram it in there. And the whole point is just a bunch of theological jargon. Apply it. Get in there. Apply it. And these people constantly remind us, man, there's so much there. Oh, how many times have you been sitting there? I never realized that before. I never heard of that. Because somebody took the time to go in and do the research, right? And it encourages to get in there, right? The gift of knowledge. These are the people who are gifted by the Spirit of God to spend their life in searching out the things of God, the knowledge, the facts, the history, okay? Sometimes, though, those with the most knowledge, listen, have the least wisdom. That's where you end up with somebody like the absent-minded professor. Dude's brilliant. Guy's got so much knowledge, it's just oozing out of his ear. He's got to keep shoving it back in. He's walking down the hallway. He's got so much, it's everywhere. But what's he doing? He's stumbling, fumbling, bumbling. There's just no wisdom. 
right? So there's a danger in all you if you only had knowledge, okay? Knowledge is the academic side. Wisdom is the application side. Some Christians have both. Praise God. What a gift that is. Can you imagine combining these two? Woo! Okay, some have neither. And praise God for those that got it. Some have either or, right? So it, it's, it's a good compliment if you, can, if you can work together, right? Now, let's get into one more, and then we'll close tonight. And that is the next one, and that is the gift of faith. Okay, the gift of faith. Now, all of us possess faith. Again, well, I can't have faith. I can't, have, I can't trust God for nothing because I'm waiting for that person with the gift of faith. No. Again, these are compliments. It's not an excuse to not trust God, believe God. But this is supernatural. Right? This is kind of out of the ordinary. The spiritual gift of faith is exhibited by one with a strong and unshakable confidence in God and in His Word, His promises, and the power of prayer okay, towards God. Now, let me give you an example. See if you can guess who this is. He started out a life living in sin, but once this man got saved, he became one of the greatest examples of faith and prayer, which I believe is faith in action, faith expressing itself, because you go to the one you put your faith in, in your time of need, right? He became one of the greatest examples of faith and prayer this world has ever known. Why? Because I think this is one of the gifts he had, the gift of faith. It all began when he was studying for ministry. Not because he wanted to serve God or help others. No, no, no. He wasn't even saved. What? Does that happen? Are there people going to Bible college and seminaries that are not even born again? I've told you stories. It happens all the time. Unfortunately, it's crazy. Even behind the pulpit. Right? He, he just thought it would be an easy, comfortable way to earn a living. But that's right. Even with his bad motives, God still met him at a prayer meeting. And the next thing you know, he got saved in spite of himself. What a concept. And it didn't take long to see the fruit of his salvation either. Immediately, he began to preach and minister to those in need wherever the Lord would open the door. And this desire uh, to help others eventually led him to open up an orphan's home for 26 girls initially. Zero financial assistance. None. But that was just the beginning. Soon he had five orphanages, and he was serving, feeding 2,100, 2,100 orphans every single day. Listen, he never once asked anyone for support. Well, that's not how you're supposed to do a ministry model. You're supposed to do out this and send out this and, and request and do that. And for, you know, three months in a row, it's time for stewardship campaign. We've got to talk. Yeah, no. This guy never once asked for anything. 2,100 kids every day feeding them. Never once asked a soul for a dime. Wow. Because he had learned early on that God would simply supply his needs, needs through the power of prayer. You see, when God put it into his heart to build these orphanages, this man only had 50 cents in his pocket. So he simply prayed. He trusted that God would supply the need. And boy, did he ever. In all the years of serving the orphanages, God always provided for the children, and they never missed a meal, even though he never asked a soul. For instance, one time the children were dressed and ready for school, but there was no food for them to eat. So this man simply took, in this particular orphanage, the 300 children in the dining room, had them sit at the tables where he proceeded to thank God for the food that they were about to receive and simply waited. Within minutes, a baker knocked at the door, true story, folks, and said this, Last night I couldn't sleep, and somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. So I got up at 2 a.m. this morning and baked three batches for you, I'll bring it in. So they not only thank God for the bread, but for the fresh hot-baked bread. But that's not all. Soon there was another knock at the door, and this is just one of many stories. There was another knock at the door, same day, right after the bread guy left. It was the mook man. 
And it just so happened that his cart had broke down in front of the orphanage and the milk was going to spoil by the time he got it fixed. So he asked them if they could use some free milk. And he not only brought in 10 large cans of milk, but it was exactly enough to feed 300 thirsty children. And on and on and on it went, day after day, month after month, year after year. No less than 10,000 orphans were faithfully cared for by this faithful kind of prayer and dependency upon God. In fact, when all was said and done, God poured out upon this one Christian man in response to his faith and prayers a total of $7.5 million to be used for the purposes of God. Now, if you're not familiar with this guy, the guy's name is George uh, Mueller. Okay? Now, this, I did the math on this, because I'm like, wow, seven and a half million bucks, that's a lot. Well, exactly, Pastor Tom. So that was, the, he died in 1898. So I just took the late date. So I did, you could do everything apparently on Google nowadays. Uh, but anyway, I took the seven and a half million dollars from 1898, and it w- I could go up to 2017. You know what that's uh, uh, equivalent to today? $224,164,331.93. God gave this man, in today's numbers, a quarter billion dollars. So that he could buy a new Cadillac to go with the... Why did God bless him so much? Financially. Because he was giving it away as fast as it came in. For the glory of God, for the needs of the poor, the oppressed. For the church. To get out there and share the gospel. What a concept. Let me give you one more. Get this guy. One time he's crossing the ocean, right? And uh, the weather turned cold. The ship he was on was forced to slow down due to some fog that rolled in. So he went up to the captain there, uh, the boat. And he says, Captain, I come to tell you that I've got to be in Quebec by Saturday afternoon. And the captain said, it's impossible. So George Mueller, he said, uh, well, very well. If your ship cannot take me, God will find some other way. He said, I've never broken engagement in 52 years. So let's go down the chart room and pray. So the captain says, Mr., don't you know how dense this fog is? To which George Mueller says, no, sir, my eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of this life. And when he began to pray, the captain was also about to pray, but George Mueller put his hand on the captain's shoulder and told him not to. Don't even pray. He said, first, because you don't believe he will. And so there's no need for you to pray about it whatsoever. Second, I've known my Lord for 52 years, and there's never been a single day that I failed to get an audience with my king. So he prayed, and he says, get up, captain, open the door, and you'll find that the fog is gone. And guess what? It was gone. And you know what happened to that captain in real life? He got saved, and he became an evangelist. Interesting. This is the gift of faith. Now, we all got to have faith because the Bible says without faith in the book of Hebrews is what? It's impossible to please God. You got to have faith. You got to have faith to get, be born again. Faith in the work of Jesus Christ. But this is supernatural. These are those people I think that sometimes shake us out of our lethargy because we start thinking so worldly. We start thinking, well, scientifically, the odds are impossible due to these. God is beyond odds. Did you know that? He's not bound by a statistic or a calculator. He can do whatever he wants to do. This is God. If he wants to feed kids out of nowhere or make the fog go away, chump change. Have you read the scripture? I love the passages in the Old Testament. Oh, God, what are we going to do? We're going to run out of water. They start murmuring. God doesn't like murmuring, by the way. Don't murmur. But what's the scripture say? Is the Lord's arm too short? That's just one passage. Come on, guys. I mean, you sit there and you believe that I created the universe out of nothing. 
And last time I checked, it's large. Colossians says he upholds and sustains it, keeps it from flying apart. But I can't take care of you. Need oh, you're right. My arm is just so short; it's just all shriveled up. There's nothing to it. These are the people who say, "Are you kidding me?" God said it. He can do whatever he wants to do, man. And I'm not spending this so I can get a new Armani suit. I'm sp- this is a need that God has for us to do. Take care of these kids. I got to get there to share the gospel. Get rid of the fog, God. And He does it. He honors them. This is the gift of faith. Some would say this is also the gift of prayer, which to me again, okay, yeah. But I would say, yeah, the faith, because that's what is prayer. When we pray, we're praying to what? To God. In faith that he's going to what? He's going to do something. Right? So if anything, it's faith being expressed. It's faith in action, if you will. I say, one guy said this. He talks about this guy called Old Pappy Reveal. Right? He said, this guy had the gift of faith. He said, uh, uh, the gift of prayer, too. He, just, he, says, he says, because he, he was uh, a, a mission, and he needed a station wagon for his mission. Notice it wasn't a new Cadillac. He needed a station wagon. Why? Because that's practical, and you can load a lot of stuff in it, and, you know, especially if you're on the mission field. And so he prayed, God, give me a station wagon. And, quote, he got three or four of them within just two weeks. Two, that's love one less finger. For those of you hooked on my fingers. He got three in two weeks. Whoa. So God gave him more than what he asked for, okay? He said that man could lay hold of the throne of God in prayer. He believed God, and God was moved by his faith. And when you exercise this gift in the church, you not only see practical provisions, you see spiritual provisions. And this is, I think, where the church is like, have you, you hear me say, listen, God's on the throne. God's never not on the throne. God's always on the throne. And if God's on the throne and he's always on the throne, there's always hope. I don't care how bad your situation is. I don't care. And it's just, we pray for us. We pray for other people. I don't care what the problem is. I don't care if it's cancer. I don't care if it's privation. I don't care if somebody's stuck in the gulag. If God wants them released, let's pray. Let's trust him. Let's believe him. Like this guy. What happens when you exercise faith? Right? True story. I've shared this before, but let's watch it again. Not just for days, but for weeks, months, years. You cannot get rid of it. And the other continual feeling is the constant cold. Terrible cold. Sometimes I felt as if my blood circulation was slowing down. I was personally amazed at the power of endurance. Because, by all accounts, I should have become seriously ill and died a long time ago. into a cell with a broken window. The KGB was determined to do an experiment and freeze me. Later they would say he broke the window in the cell and died of cold. 
I felt despair. I thought to myself, has God really left me? Am I really forgotten and neglected? Have my years of suffering been in vain? And in my despair, I began to pray. I usually pray silently, but this time I started to appeal to God out loud. God, have you left me? My cries were bursting from a heart literally in utter despair. One night I had a dream. In my dream, I was told to pray for Alexander. I had no idea who Alexander was. But I told my church, and we began to pray for him. And right then, I suddenly felt a palpable physical warmth. Not the kind that comes from a heater, but like when a mother draws her freezing child to her breast and warms him with her tearful breath of compassion. It was a very living, human warmth. It penetrates you as if piercing you to the heart, and inside your heart a spring opens up, out of which flows peace. A wonderful, magnificent, soothing peace. I felt a very loving, brotherly touch. Someone's caring hand touching my shoulder. I actually felt it. And this gesture represented the words, You are not alone. You are not abandoned. We are with you. We are sharing your suffering. This warmth was the energy God gave me to feel. Physically, the heat of prayer was my own skin, my own being. As if the prayers converted the energy of love into the energy of warmth. In the morning, it was a shock to my executioners. They couldn't understand. I wasn't simply alive, but my temperature was the same as that of a normal person. I heard the doctor explaining to my executioners in the corridor. This is impossible. We can't explain it. About six months later, we received a letter from Open Doors to pray for Alexander. And we finally found out who this Alexander was. We had been praying for six months without knowing anything about him. Alexander had started a Christian movement that spread across the Soviet Union. For this crime against the state, he was imprisoned to a labor camp in northern Siberia, the death sentence zone. It so happened that many people began praying for me.
Ivan's act was exactly when they had released me. Prayer opened the prison doors, and as the gospel affirms, set the captives free. Remember those days? When you first got saved? And you trust God for anything. You wouldn't hesitate, you wouldn't doubt. Didn't matter how big the problem was. God will take it out. You had that faith of David. I don't care how big this Goliath is. God, you're so faithful. I just got saved, but already you've already demonstrated you take care of the lion, you take care of the bear. It doesn't matter. You're going to knock him down. When did it leave? When did God become no bigger than our world? Or our brain? Or what God's or what society says? Or the statistics? Or the feasibility? The natural mindset? When did you lose sight of the supernatural? That God can do whatever he wants to do. I don't care how big the problem is. He'll set the captives free. Never even saw him. Halfway across the world. You need food? You don't need to ask. You didn't need to send out a pledge support. You don't need to beg. I'll supply it. What does Scripture say? God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord and everything in it. He could do whatever he wants. Where's our faith? Aren't you get glad, praise God, for people who come along in those times when we forget about how big God is and that he's bigger than our problems. And he's blessed the church with people with the gift of faith. And they like bust through all that skepticism and looks at you like, what, you guys been eating chicken? Let's pray. And you go, oh, yeah. That's right. When did I forget? Praise God for people who have the gift of faith. Amen. Now, we all got faith. We all need to have faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we need to exercise our own faith. Well, I can't pray. I just, I got to wait for Earl to show up. Where's Pappy Reveal? I got a problem. No, you can pray. But these are people that just, wow, this is just awesome. If anything, it's just a wonderful, constant reminder. Stop thinking of God from this world's point of view. Get back to who he says he is and trust him. Believe him and pray. Now, that's the biblical gift of faith. Unfortunately, as we close, the charismatic church comes along and says, nope, you know what we need for faith? Here's what faith is. Faith is basically you just keep repeating it over and over again and you are a little God and you can speak with the power of your words whatever you want into existence. You just need to name it and claim it. You need to, you need to just blab it and then grab it, right? And that's not the biblical faith. And you think they don't do that? Here's some of their big pillars doing just that. Complete abuse of the term faith and the gift of faith. Watch this. 
A Louisiana televangelist is asking his followers for donations to buy a $54 million private jet. Jesse Duplantis runs a church outside New Orleans and also reaches out, that also reaches out worldwide. More than 750,000 people watch his sermons online and follow his ministry's Facebook page. He is the second prominent televangelist this year to preach the virtues of a private plane. Tony DeCopel is here with why Duplantis insists he needs the jet. Tony, good morning. Good morning. It's a good question because the ministry already has a jet. <laughs> okay. They've had three, in fact, but Duplantis says he needs this new one to be able to go anywhere around the world in a single stop. We want that 7X. We're believing God for it. In a video posted to his website last week, televangelist Jesse Duplantis says God told him he needs the new Falcon 7X jet. That if Jesus was physically on the earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. Think about that for a minute. Reaction to this multi-million dollar request has been mixed on the ministry's Facebook page. One person wrote, I am ashamed I ever listened to a word you had to say. Duplantis is not the first minister to preach the gospel of private flying. If I want to believe God for a $65 million plane, you cannot stop me. In 2015, Creflo Dollar asked his suburban Atlanta congregation for a new Gulfstream G650. His ministry settled for a used one. Father, we thank you so. And this past January, Texas-based televangelist Kenneth Copeland announced the blessing of a new multi-million dollar Gulfstream 5. The Lord says how we treat the poor is how we're going to be judged. Jim Wallace is the founder of Sojourners, a prominent Christian community. Stories of pastors and private jets are not the best way of exemplifying what we mean by following Jesus. And it's not what biblical faith is, and it certainly is not the gift of faith. It's a total abuse. What a mockery. And what a horrible witness. Hey, with all due respect, I don't know those newscast people that started this off. I'm kind of guessing they're probably not saved. Even the lost knows this is a bunch of baloney. This is the kind of stuff, folks, that we're dealing with in the charismatic chaos. I'm not here to poke people in the eye. But this is the kind of baloney that's been going on way too long, and it's a horrible witness and it is a complete rejection of the biblical true uh, gifts of the Spirit, okay? And by the way, if that really was the gift of faith that these people are exercising, why did you have to put out a Facebook post? Why did you produce a YouTube video asking for money? Why did you have to say your congregation? Why did you have to spend it? Why didn't you do it like George Mueller did? Don't ask. Just pray. Why, why didn't you just get together with a couple people and say, hey, let's pray about this need, like those people did when they said, Alexander Free, because God stirred their heart for that. Oh, and by the way, what was Mueller using the money for? And what was the people praying and trusting God for for Alexander? To set the captives free, to feed the, the, the poor and the oppressed, to take care. Why did Pappy Reveal get his, not just one, but he got two or three station wagons? Because he wasn't asking for a Cadillac when he already had seven. And God blessed him because that's a great vehicle to use so that he can haul around his mission supplies to share the gospel. That's why. But that's the true biblical gift of faith. That's what we need to get to. Now, Lord willing, next time, finally, finally, we made it through Tinnum. Next time, we're going to start to get into what's called the temporary gifts. Okay? These are the ones that are not in function for today. Okay? And uh, that will be self-evident by the Scripture. Just like there's not uh, prophets just like there's not apostles because we don't need them today, 
there were certain temporary gifts or what's also called sign gifts. They were only for that time period. Okay, we don't need them today. But again, that's another thing that the charismatic movement, unfortunately, abuses and leads to a bunch of messes as well. So let's go ahead and pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The Fifth Commandment says this, You shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says, You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name, the Bible says, under heaven, that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin? Then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more, the Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You'll be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven in that state. You're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this. Number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, 
we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins against him. And you could actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time and they go to jail, but believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extended to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you, but you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.